than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. If Jesus is real to you this evening, say amen. Amen. I mean, without him, this would be a complete waste of time and energy, would it not? I just want to preface uh, our Bible study by telling all of you that it has truly been something special for me and my wife. I thought last year was something it has been eclipsed. Uh, And after my greens that I had this afternoon, I'm good to go. I'm telling you now, I didn't have any dessert like many of you that will be repenting here shortly. But, you know, (laughs) I... uh, I'm just telling you, I I do want to um, say to our sisters uh, and to the song leader from this morning and this afternoon that great congregations have great song leaders. That gentleman this morning was the real deal. And um, you sisters sound incredible. I don't know if, uh, if you guys have decided to put your singing on CDs, but you should. Because our senior saints and the shut-in, even those in Jacksonville, I would love to be able to give them a CD of your singing. People who struggle with instrumental music haven't heard y'all sing. People need to understand that a cappella singing is scriptural because it's as in the church. And when you mess it up with drums and, and all this other stuff, those people, they just need to go back and study the scripture. But I'm here to tell you, you sister, y'all can sing now. Y'all can not only cook, but y'all can sing too. What a wonderful, wonderful day, wonderful weekend it's been. And and to Doug Smith, I will publicly say that if he ever calls me to do anything for this congregation, by God's grace and mercy, I will do it. So that's just a little hint for you if you want to call me. Call me. (laughs) Call me. (laughs) Call me, Doug. (laughs) Uh, you, you guys are, you guys are what Christians should aspire to be. And for those of you who are visiting, and if you don't share our religious conviction, I would ask you to come back here time and time again. And I would ask you to bring your Bible. And I would ask you to follow along with Doug as he preaches from the word of God. I would ask you to watch the lives here. Talk to these elders. Talk to them about your soul salvation. They will reason with you from God's word. That's all they're going to give you is Bible. And we sincerely have appreciated so very much to be here. And we just uh, ask that you will pray for us uh, as we plan to get on the road in the morning. Lord willing to uh, get down off this mountain and get back down in the valley of human need. And do what we can while we can to the glory of God. Now, our message this evening is entitled, Discovering the Single Most Important Secret to a Happy Marriage. And I am going to do something that I don't normally do, but because my wife knows that I live on the edge, I'm going to ask this question. Does anybody think that they know what this ingredient is? 
And if you are a man, I want you to raise your hand. And I want you to tell me if you know the single most important secret to a happy marriage. And if you get it right, I've got a surprise for you. And I don't normally do this, but I'm doing this today because I'm just in one of those moods. So, brothers, if you think you know, you need to grab a sheet of paper, need to put your answer on the paper, need to put your name on the paper in a way that I can contact you. And uh, if you could do that, because I believe we can multitask, if we can get some deacons who can do just about anything, um, if, if you would write that down, I'll ask those deacons to take that up and I'll find out who answered it correctly. We already have a gentleman back here. Do you have, did you, you better write it down because I don't want nobody to beat you out of your surprise if you get it. Any, any other gentleman written it down? Now don't let your wife write it down because if she writes it down, she'll get it right. I'm talking to the guys. Single most important secret to a happy marriage. And you, you have to write this down before I tell you the answer. You can't write it down after I give you the answer. Then everybody will. Okay, anybody else writing it down? Okay, we have a gentleman writing here. Uh, we have one here, have one there, have one here. Okay, <clears throat> write that down. And what I'm going to do to set the stage is to put some of God's word in front of you. After I read these passages of scripture, then I want to take these pieces of paper up to see who got it right. And see what kind of trouble I may have gotten myself into. Now, there are a lot of ways to set up this Bible study, but none better than going to the Word of God and reading. Amen? Because the power is found in the Word of God. So, I I call your attention to Romans chapter 12 at verse number 10. Romans chapter 12 at verse number 10, the Bible says... Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. I'm in chapter 12 at verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. I'm turning now to Romans chapter 13 at verse number 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Romans chapter 14 at verse number 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I'm going to Romans chapter 15 at verse number 7. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Same chapter, verse 14, where the Bible says, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. I'm going to chapter 16 of the book of Romans, at verse number 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I'm in Rome, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 at verse number 10. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. 
I'm now going to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 at verse number 20. All the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. I'm now going to 2 Corinthians chapter 13 at verse number 12. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Galatians chapter 5 at verse number 13. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 at verse number 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Chapter 4 at verse number 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as Christ, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Ephesians chapter 5 at verse number 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Chapter 5 at verse 21. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. We're now going to Colossians chapter 3 at verse number 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. We're now going to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 at verse number 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you are also doing. We're going to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 3, rather. Hebrews chapter 3 at verse 13. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews chapter 10 at verse number 24. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good works. Verse 25, not forsaking our assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. James chapter 4, at verse number 11. The Bible says, do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. 1 Peter chapter 1 at verse 22. The Bible says, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. 1 Peter chapter 3, at verse number 8. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, 
and humble in spirit. First Peter chapter four at verse number nine, the Bible says, be hospitable to one another without complaint. First Peter chapter five at verse five, you younger men likewise be subject to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another for God is opposed to the proud, but give grace to the humble. First Peter chapter five at verse number 14, greet one another with a holy kiss. First John chapter one at verse seven, the Bible says, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. I'm going to first John chapter three at verse number 11, where the Bible says, for this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. First John chapter 3, at verse 23, the Bible says, This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. First John chapter 4, at verse 7, the Bible says, Beloved, Let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. 1 John chapter 4 at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And then the last one is found in 2 John Verse 5. Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we should love one another. May God always add a blessing to the reading and hearing and doing of his holy and divine word. I love every one of those verses. But every time I've read these verses, I have been remiss in making the application of the one another way to my wife. I've thought about everybody in the church. I've thought about people outside the church. I've thought about relationships with this person and that person. But the one another way I have not been able to take these passages of scripture and make the application to my tie with her. Now, I know you guys have done that. I'm just telling you, I haven't been able to do it. And in order for you to understand the single most important secret to a happy marriage, the one another way, and these passages of scripture are crucial in understanding what that notion is all about. Now, how many guys uh, finished their work? Okay, could you bring those down, please? Since they're, I don't want to take up any more, any more time than I have to. Thank you. I'll put you to work. Any other man want to live by faith? Okay, now, uh, Doug is going to look through here uh, because the answer to the question is empathy. 
It's empathy. It's being able to put yourself in your wife's shoes or your wife being able to put herself in her husband's shoes. If you cannot do this, and some of you have been doing this for years, you probably have not heard it termed, used in terms of being empathic, but that's exactly what you're doing. You're not only listening with the way that they process things, but you're hearing and you're reacting. You're not hearing and reacting as a man. You're trying to make sure that you're clear on what your wife has said so that you can respond to her in an appropriate way. When your wife comes to you and says, honey, I have a headache, you don't say take two aspirin and call me in the morning. Because if you say that, you're going to be living in the doghouse for the next six months. If she says, honey, I have a headache, what is she really saying? Guys, what is she really looking for? Three letters. One of them starts with a T. TLC, that's what she's looking for. The last thing she needs from us is to, you know, go take two aspirin. You don't think she knows that she can take two aspirin? Of course she can take two aspirin. That's not what she needs at that moment. What she needs at that moment is for you to sweep her off of her feet and massage her temples and tell her she's going to feel better. She'll still have a headache, but she'll be impressed with the effort. Empathy is very, very important. Now, Doug, you've been through these things three or four times. Have you seen empathy yet? Haven't seen the word. Well, good. My vacation is safe. That's good. Whew. Okay. All right. Now, I, you know, some of you had commitment, and that, that's good. Love, and all, all of that's great. But brothers and sisters, without empathy, we really don't have anything. What did Jesus do in Philippians chapter 2? What did he do? He took on the form of a... He took on the form of a bondservant and became a, he became a man. He didn't stay in heaven and say, hey, I wish y'all good luck. That's not what he did. He actually demonstrated what we are talking about this evening. This concept, I think, is absolutely liberating for me. And I learned this out of a book. It's called Trading Places that, that was written by Dr. and Dr.'s uh, Les and Leslie Parrott. You guys have probably heard about them. If you don't have that book in your library, you need to buy that one tonight. I would go to Amazon.com and I would get a used copy and spend less than $5 on it. That's what I would do. But it is a quick read, but it is a great read. And it will give you these steps as to how you can actually be more empathic in your relationship. If you could develop a bottle of this instant empathy, where would you apply it in your marriage? Well, I know where I would apply it in mine. I would apply some to my ears. See, because sometimes I need to hear what my wife is not saying as opposed to what she's saying. You guys know what I'm talking about? You walk in the room and her face is, I mean, her lip is so long you could walk on it and you ask her, "Uh, honey, how you doing? I'm fine. Well, that's what she said, but that's not what she means. So it's incumbent upon you to find out what she means by nothing is wrong. Because if you don't, 
then you're not doing your job. You haven't been studying your mate. It's our job to do that. They study us, don't they? I mean, we can't get away with anything. You can't even sneak a, a, sneak a candy bar in the house. In my way, what's that in your hand? Nothing. You know, I, nothing. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a payday, isn't it? Well, I'm, I'm already busted. She's looked right through my pocket. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's not even fair. You need to repent. It's not even fair. Come on, give me a break. I need, I need eyes to see. I need ears to hear. I need a heart that hurts. I need to be genuinely concerned, brothers and sisters. And my wife knows that I, I need to be this way. I need hands that will help and serve. And I need an attitude of acceptance. I'm sorry everybody's not on your level spiritually, you know. I'm sorry. Everybody's not a, a spiritual giant. There are some days where people are so low that they can just dangle their legs off the uh, edge of a napkin. People get depressed. People get disillusioned. People become confused and somebody needs to go and help them. Well, if you can't be empathic, you need to stay away from those people. You know, we have some people at Arlington and I've told them, don't ever visit uh, hospitals because when you walk in and say, man, you look like you're about to die. You don't, you don't come see me. Stay away from the hospital. Stay away from that kind of work because you would do more harm than good. That person has not learned how to be empathic. Maybe they're good at something else. But if you, if you don't have the spirit of mercy and tenderness, then don't try to do it. Get with someone who can help you become that way. And in our marriage relationships, this is very, very, very important. Now, for those of you who will purchase this book, what you're going to do is you're going to take a free assessment online. And when you take this assessment, it is going to actually teach you how sensitive you are from a heart perspective and how sensitive you are from a head perspective. You have to work both of these things together. You can't just be a basket of emotion. These things have to intertwine. And when you take this assessment, don't rip yours up like I did mine. Because I really was not impressed with what it said. Because, you know, I thought something was wrong with the assessment. So I did it again and came out with the same, came out with the same thing. I didn't like it. But that's okay. It's still me. Okay? So when you do yours, what you're going to find is that you are either a sympathizer, a personalizer, an analyzer, or an empathizer. If you're a sympathizer, you have more feeling than thinking in your approach. If you're a personalizer, you're short on both feeling and thinking. If you're an analyzer, which most men are, you're more thinking than feeling. You would be the one to say, well, go take the aspirin and get out of my way because I'm watching ESPN, okay? And then she would say, okay, let me go put some hot water on the stove. I want to bring you some, you know. The empathizer, a good measure of both thinking and feeling. And that's where we want to try to be because that's, that's the model that Jesus set for us. He was a thinker and he was a feeler. He knew how to put both of those together. I think that you will enjoy taking that inventory when you go to uh, relationships.com. And look that up and purchase that book and use that information to help you draw closer to your mate. Now, I want you to turn over in, uh, to 1 Peter chapter 3 with me. 
I love this passage of Scripture because it's a passage of Scripture that really keeps me on the ground. Normally, when I uh, share this passage of Scripture with a couple, I will ask the sister to read the verses that are applicable to her. The apostolic command to wives starts at verse 1, and it goes down to verse 6. What I find most men doing is taking apostolic commands that are directed toward women, and they try to superimpose their will over those verses. You can't do that. We have enough stuff that we need to be working on for ourselves. Amen? Well, sisters, in this, in this passage of Scripture, you have to deal with these first six verses. We, as men, husbands, godly husbands and fathers, we have to wrestle with verse 7. There's enough stuff in verse 7 where we could end up losing our souls. So just because it's only one verse, trust me, God, through the Holy Spirit and having this written down, knew exactly what we needed in this passage of Scripture. But let's see what he says to the wives, beginning there at verse number 1. As a matter of fact, if, if you are a wife, uh, would you please stand? Sisters? Now, <clears throat> when you read this verse, you need to read this. Don't y'all sit down yet now. Because no, no, <laughs> the guys are going to be standing in a minute. When you read this verse, you need to read this verse as if Paul were speaking to you because he is. He's not speaking to your husband. He's not speaking to your children. He's speaking to you. So what you have to ask yourself is, are you being obedient to these verses? Not are you being obedient to your husband, are you being obedient to the apostolic command? That's the real question. And the reason why people don't like to counsel with me is because I'm pointing them to the Scripture. It's not what Bill Davis says. It's not what Doug Smith says. It's what God's word says, isn't it? it isn't it? Okay, so, so when I read this, I, I just want you to ask yourselves. Yes, I'm being obedient to this passage of scripture. Yes, I'm being obedient to these apostolic commands. And if you're not, then what are you going to do? You're going to repent and start doing it, Right? Thank you. Okay. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. So the next time y'all come and say, well, I told him and told him and told him and told him and he's still doing the same thing. When you read this, what does it say? That's not what it says. You can actually win him without telling him and telling him and telling him. Isn't that what it says? As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart 
with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You ladies can be seated. Thank you so much. Okay, husbands, it's, it, it's your turn. Oh, so y'all are not going to stand up. Y'all, y'all ate too much. Okay, all the husbands, thank you. Now, brothers, this is one of the most serious verses that I've ever read in Scripture. And when I find myself getting off track, this one brings me back. It brings me back to my knees because of what is said in such a succinct fashion. If we are not practicing these truths, we find ourselves in direct conflict to the word of God. And I I don't want to be there. Do you? Y'all do like this. I know you won't say no. So do like this. So here's the message to us. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. So the question this afternoon is, is this how you're living with your wife? Now, if we were to ask your wives, they would have something to say. But that's, that's not the real concern, is it? The real concern is what did your conscience just say about your obedience to this passage? See, that's why it troubles me when, you know, I do all this preaching and do all this teaching. And if I don't live with my wife in an understanding way when I pray to God, my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. And God won't even hear me when I pray. That's how serious this is. So the real question, brothers, is are you being obedient to this passage of Scripture? And your conscience has already answered for you and my conscience has answered for me. Thank you so much for standing. If we were to go to Ephesians 5, then we would see a reversal, would we not? In Ephesians 5, the guys get this whole truckload of stuff. So when you go back to Ephesians 5, you can do the same thing. Where it says, husbands, that is, that is directly for husbands. When it says wives, it's directly for wives. But I'm telling you, we take those passages and we beat each other over the head with them. You know, guys say things, well, you know, she's not being submissive to me. Oh, well, why should she be submissive to you? Because that's what the Bible says. Okay, well, when was the last time you washed her feet? What? When was the last time you washed your your wife's feet? What you talking about, literally? No, I'm not talking about literally. I'm talking about spiritually. When was the last time? When was the last time that you saw a need and you actually stooped to lowly abject service and you served your wife? When was the last time you did that? There's no sense in you getting all bent out of shape about the fact that she's not being submissive to you because God will take care of her. I'm more concerned about you. Are you the kind of person who is reflecting Jesus in your life so that she will want to submit to you? That's the real question. 
That's why I'm telling you, everybody has their own stuff that they need to be working on. Do you not agree? The benefits of trading places. You reduce critical comments versus complaining. You know, I I actually think that people that complain actually have healthy marriages. It's okay to complain. It's when you start criticizing. It's when the air can go out of the balloon if we're not careful. If our wives do not feel comfortable enough to come to us to say, Hey, I, I want to ask you a question, man. You know, why, why are we doing this, this, and that? If they don't have an opportunity to at least throw it out on the table, how are we going to know how they feel? We should be able to do that without having World War III in the house. This notion of trading places, it, it helps to short-circuit conflict. You become better friends. This is my best friend. Somebody says, because you don't have a lot of friends. Well, I don't. I really don't, honestly. I don't have a lot of friends. But I'm glad that my wife is my best friend. I like hanging out with her. I like going places with her. I like being seen with her because she makes me look good. I do. We knew a guy in Nashville who spent so much time at the church building You know, they used to go in separate cars, he and his wife. They got a divorce about six years ago. It's probably been longer than that. Every time I turned around, this guy was at the building. At the building, 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 at the building. He would sit over here, his wife and kids would sit over there because he had to go to the building. He lost his wife, he lost his family. Because he had to come to the building. The young couple that uh, have pledged their engagement, if there's one thing that I could recommend to them, it's to do something together in the body of Christ. Do something with your wife. Do something with your husband. Pull from the same end of the rope. This benefit, one of the other benefits of trading places, it, it helps to build a deeper commitment And it helps you give and get grace more freely. Those of you who have studied the statistics also know that married people live longer. Married guys live longer. Almost, it's almost up to 8.5 years now. Guys who are happily married. Our blood pressure is better. Our attitude is better. That's just one of the many benefits of being married. And you can also help each other realize their dreams. I know you guys have heard of a fellow by the name of Nathaniel Hawthorne who wrote the Scarlet Letter. You know, that old boy lost his job and was down on his luck. His wife, her name was Sophia, she came in and she said, you know, I know in my heart of hearts that you want to be a writer. So, honey, I want you to write. And he says, well, how are we going to pay our bills? We don't have money. You know, that woman had squirreled away enough money that they paid their bills for the next year and a half. And he wrote the scarlet letter and the rest is history. See, there was a woman who understood her husband. 
Here was a woman who put herself in his place. She walked in his shoes and she gave him a serendipity and she encouraged him. That old boy wrote the scarlet letter and I'm here to tell you, I don't think they ate beans too many days after that book got out. But that's what it's all about. Ooh, I love that story. So how do you, how do you, how do you do this? How do you, how do you trade places? What are some of the things that you end up saying to each other? There are three points and then uh, I will extend heaven's invitation. The first um, concept that I learned is that you make the statement, I notice you. And I took that from the Good Samaritan. When y'all read in Luke chapter 10, there was only one person who really took notice that there was somebody that had a need, wasn't it? Everybody else had to run off to Bible class and they had to go around on the other side. They had to get to the temple, man. I got to get to the temple or wherever it was they were going. They passed by on the other side. The good Samaritan thought, you know, man, what's going to happen to him if I don't do something for him? You have to see it, brothers and sisters. You have to get out of yourself. You have to know that there's a concern and then launch out and try to do what you can. The second concept is I feel with you. I mean, I not only notice you, but I'm, I'm, I'm understanding where you are. And because I understand where you are, I'm going to act to help you. Those are the three steps. Those are three progressive steps, steps that help a person become more empathic. Now, I want to close uh, by making a, a statement that I made about Jesus earlier because he lived this for us. I'm in Philippians chapter 2. I want to read this into your hearing. I'm at verse 5, Philippians chapter 2. Have this attitude in yourselves. There it is. Have this attitude. The King James translation says, have this mind. Is that not correct? Okay. Have this attitude or have this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those six takeaways uh, from these verses are, you have to appreciate the majesty of his character. That's at verse six. You have to appreciate the miracle of his birth. That's around verse seven. Then you have to appreciate the manner of his life there at verse number eight. The fourth thing is the misery of his death. That's also at verse number eight. Uh, the might of his resurrection. I took that from verse nine. And then the magnificence of his reign. That's also verse nine and ten. 
So those, those six characteristics that can be gleaned from this section of scripture just shows you how Jesus actually showed and demonstrate, demonstrated rather what it means to be empathic. And then we can make the application to and in our own lives. So what happens to people who fail to make this change in their relationship? They don't aspire to be empathic. They don't aspire to have the heart or the hands uh, to help and serve. What happens to these people? Their relationship really dies on the vine for lack of knowledge because they don't want to learn. There's a lack of motivation. They lack prioritizing their relationship and they're unwilling to change. And I bump into them all the time. A couple of days ago, I just told you, this guy was sitting there arguing with his wife in my mother-in-law's house. First thing out of his mouth, I don't need counseling. What kind of counselor are you anyway? I didn't say a word. But I will tell you today that I want to be more empathic. I want to be more sensitive. I want to be more understanding, not only with my wife, but with people that I come in contact with so they will be able to see the beauty of Jesus in me. How about you? I'm sure you want the same thing. I don't know what your situation is this afternoon, but I know what mine is, and that is I need the Lord. I need him now more than ever. I want him to order my steps. I want him to put steel in my backbone so that if something needs to be said on his behalf, I pray that he will give me the grace and the strength to say it. And when it's time for me to shut up, like it is right now, I will know when to quit. But the bottom line is I'm not losing my wife. I told y'all that last year, and I, by God's grace, I'm telling you again, I'm not losing my wife. I'm not. If she ever tells me that she's leaving me, I'm going to get my little suitcase, throw my stuff in there, and say, where are we going? I, I, I'm in it for the long haul. There is nothing. Are you listening to me? There is nothing that my wife can do that will cause me to leave her. Nothing. And if you think I'm blowing smoke, you don't know me very well. Those of you who are sitting here and sitting up all close to your spouses and looking all good and happy, you've said the same thing. And if your husband was standing up here, he'd say the same thing I'm saying. I think that's what it's all about. Our young people need to know that there are couples who are still serious about doing it God's way. Amen. That's the I mean, that that is the bottom line. And when our head presses a dying pillow. And whatever is said at our funerals. It really doesn't matter what they say, is it? I mean, you're living your funeral every day. And whatever they say, it really doesn't matter. Go, you can't hear it anyway. You and I need to live every day as if it were our last day. And let's fall toward the flag. Let's fall toward Jesus. Let's give him our best. If you're here this afternoon... You don't share our religious conviction. You've never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's clearly articulated in this Bible. He wants you to hear his word. Romans chapter 10 at verse 17. He wants you to believe it. Hebrews chapter 11 at verse number 6. 
He wants you to repent of your sin, Acts chapter 17 at verse 30. He wants you to confess that Jesus is Lord, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. And I, I really enjoy studying that passage with my denominational friends who say that they pray Jesus into their heart. I just ask them, can you show me that verse in the Bible? Well, you know, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it says, with the, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You can come unto my front door all day, but until you come into, you're not in my house. And whoever fixed those greens this afternoon, she can say, would you come into my house, Brother Davis, and get the greens? And I can stand outside and say, I'm unto your house, but I'm not into your house. You got to come up in there if you want the greens. If you want salvation, you got to get into Christ. You must be baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sin. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. And then the journey begins. Being faithful to the Lord. Every day you confess that Jesus is Lord, whether you admit it or not. You do. It's by the way you live, by the way you act, by the way you behave. We're saying that we believe that Jesus is Lord. Oh, you, you guys know that this message has really been for us, hasn't it? There was some gentleman that told me uh, as I was leaving the fellowship hall, well, you know, you stepped all over my toes today. <sighs> Didn't have a chance to give him my famous line. God's word never shoots that low. God is interested in your heart. And if he really had been convicted, he would have been down here on this row with those three young men who showed the courage that they showed this morning. That's the purpose of the song of invitation, is it not? You think we just have songs of invitation because it's tradition? Y'all know we don't have tradition in churches of Christ. Do we? Why do we extend the invitation? Hopefully we extend the invitation because we believe people are going to come to Christ. We believe that people are going to respond to Jesus. People just not walk away and say, well, you know, I I know I'm good. No, you're not. And I'm not either. Every time God's word is preached, I'm convicted. Aren't you? Well, if you need these elders to pray with you and for you, why don't you give them an opportunity to do so this afternoon? Why don't you leave this building with... Ooh, the balance of your afternoon to do whatever it is y'all do here in Montgomery. But you need to leave from here knowing that those men of God have prayed for you and prayed for your soul and prayed for your family. May God give us the strength and the courage to respond to him while together we stand in the